The, the, the title that I would like to give this uh, class is called Who Answers His People Israel. It actually comes from uh, a direct quote from the text that God is the one who answers His people Israel. And we're going to look at service to Hashem, and we're going to look at what is it that we're trying to accomplish in the prayers and the prayer services on Yom Kippur. All of the classes that we've attempted to do and put on the Teves website over the past week has been a real intensive sort of Yom Kippur information so people can get everything they need to get. Shabbos, New Moons, and three festivals in the High Holy Days are times when the Torah commands us to worship the Lord by performing acts. By performing acts. The longest and most detailed description of special worship to the Lord on these singular days is the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. The first 34 verses of Parashat, Parashat uh, Akhremot, Leviticus 16, read, are read in the morning Torah service detail this worship, most of which is done by the high priest and a few other individuals in the temple. In all the Ator counts in this Siddur Avodah, along with the commandments to fast and the emphasis to put on significance of the people's atonement and purification, there is no mention of prayer anywhere explicitly in Leviticus. Now you would think, my goodness, is something so important as that? Why doesn't God explicitly talk about prayer? Well, there's a couple of things that are that goes along with this, and I would like to first read a quote from On Repentance that is uh, from the oral uh, discussions of Rabbi Yosef Soloveitchik, and he talks about the concept of of um, this idea of being atoned and purified. First of all, we have to understand that sin and corruption are partners. There's no way to sin and not be corrupt, become corrupt, right? Uh, there's no way, for example, a surgeon can touch something off the floor of the surgery floor and not expect to be corrupted and, and incapable of doing a surgery. So with sin comes corruption, and at the same time, atonement always comes with purification, Right? And the purification that we're talking about this, uh, that we're talking about, is a purification that, that completely negates and refines everything about our character that became impure. Just in the same way that you go and you know if you apply soap and you wash your hand for, what is it, four minutes or two minutes? I think it's four minutes. Three minutes? You wash your hands thoroughly for three minutes and scrub them that you pretty much can destroy any of the germs and, 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 and corruption. The idea here is Yom Kippur does two things. First, it cancels out or negates the judgment. It atones you. What does atonement mean? It meant that you sinned, and now the judgment that would be imposed upon you is now canceled. Right? It's, it's a legal term. It's removed. The second thing that takes place, it now notice... What's not canceled is the fact that you did a sin. The idea is you sinned. You sinned, you sinned. That's what it was done, right? But when you do tshuva, the judgment that was going to be given to you due to that sin is completely annulled. The second thing that takes place is the purification. That one's mind and spirit 
is then becomes incorruptible. This flies in the face of a systematic theology from from the other side of the of the paradigm that says that the only way a person can have their sins removed and the guilt not charged is to believe in a man. And this here clearly teaches us something else. Now, this is what Rav Salvechik says. He says, Indeed, true, uh, true tshuva, repentance, not only achieves kapara, or acquittal, and uh, erasure of penalty, it should also bring about tahara, purification, from tumah, spiritual pollution. Liberating man from his, his hard-hearted ignorance and insensitivity, such tshuva restores man's spiritual viability and rehabilitates him to his original state. Think about it. Every year at Yom Kippur, and Adam and I were talking about this before, every year at Yom Kippur, there is, what did you, what did you call that? The the In the Kolnadri, you said that the annulment of vows. Now, in the in the simplest sense, the annulment of vows is uh, the vows that you would have made that you couldn't carry out, they're, they're canceled out. It also means that the vows that you made to Hashem prior to Yom Kippur last year, that you failed to be able to fulfill, they, He cancels them out. So literally, you have a brand new start every year. Brand new start. How does that happen? What is the what is the mystical key to that? Well, this idea that there is no mention of prayer in the explicit commands in Leviticus 16, the main component of the present day worshiping of the Lord on the day of, uh, of atonement is precisely prayer. Everything that happens on the day of atonement is prayer. Five services, right? All five, they're praying. The supplication, asking for a better future, for forgiveness, and atonement, the entire day is devoted to such prayer. And only this day of the year has this sort of format. So very different from the order of services we are in the temple. Now this calls to mind that you realize that what we do on Yom Kippur today is nothing like what took place in the temple, correct? Because it was the high priest's obligation to do these things. Now, present-day worship of the Lord developed a uh, developed in a manner so diametrically uh, to the past warrants of a discussion of its own. So, really, the the way we do it now that's another discussion. And there are some people within other movements of Judaism that would say, "Well, we shouldn't do it like the modern way because." We don't have a temple, etc., etc. But that's not for my argument to make here. However, we are here to seek the answer, frequently asked question, to, on a matter of principle. Is there place alongside prayers of praise and thanksgiving for prayers of supplication and going further still, is it a commandment to pray for God's mercy? Okay? Is it a commandment to pray for God's mercy? Now, why do we say that? Does God know better how to dispense His mercy? He knows exactly how much mercy to give, right? Now, we're going somewhere with this. Often we'll say, oh, God, have mercy on so-and-so. They're going through so much. Do you think that you're actually helping God? No. Okay, God knows how to dispense His mercy. If so, prayers of supplication would be superfluous. 
Nevertheless, the Bible describes prayers of supplication by three patriarchs, Moses, Hannah as well, and even the crew on the boat with Yonah. Remember, they were all praying. What does this tell us? One possible answer is providing a partial explanation for this dilemma. Is that the Holy One, blessed be He, desires the prayers of the righteous or of the Jews or of any human being faced on the earth. Another clarifying significant, although inexplicable answer to this well-known question can be found in God's instructions to pray and His promise to answer our prayers and be responsive. This instruction and the accompanying assurance are read in the Haftorah passage that is read on Yom Kippur. Isaiah 58. We all kind of love Isaiah 58. 6-9, through he says this. Know this is the fast I desire to unlock fetters of wickedness and untie the cords of the yoke. It is to share your bread with the hungry and to take the wretched poor into your home. Then when you call... Now notice the caveats. You like this fancy word? Then when you call, the Lord will answer when you cry. He will say, Here I am. If you banish the yoke from your midst, also Abraham's supplication on behalf of the people of Gerar and Job on behalf, or Job on the behalf of his friends, were made at the Lord's behest. The expression, Then when you call, the Lord will answer is a fine characterization of the relationship that human beings in general and Jews in particular have with the creator of the universe. The common proper situation apparently is that the communication between human beings in distress and the deity must begin with human initiative. Now, the question is, is does God act on behalf of humans even if they don't pray? Of course they do. Of course he does. There's actually a couple examples in which that happens, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Of course, there are many instances of exception to this rule, and we'll go through them. But it's still a minority of cases, because most cases within the Tanakh, it's about the people crying out to Hashem. In most instances of the Scripture, the Lord responds to an appeal by a human being in need of help rather than taking the initiative to help. Here's an example on the personal level. You shall not ill-treat a widow or an orphan. Remember this? And he says, If you do mistreat them, I will heed their outcry as soon as they cry out to me, and my anger still blaze forth, and I will put you to the sword, and your own wives shall become widows and your children orphans, found in Exodus 22, 21-23. From the affirmative, from the affirmative, if they cry out, we deduce the negative, if they do not cry out, we might presume a different response. Either in substance or timing. Furthermore, from the plan, plain sense of the text, it appears the Lord's response is not necessarily to deliver the one crying out, but rather punish those who inflict the poor and the widow. Make sense? I mean, sure, they're crying out, but it's not this, he, as if he's going to fix the widow's problem as much as punish the person that has mistreated the widow or the poor. Justice. Justice, exactly. So this is the instance in which God acts in spite of what's being prayed. He, he Justice is an important part. Therefore, he cries out to me, I pay heed ex- exec- ex- ex- 
Exodus 22, 25-26. Both illustrations concern not the Lord seeing the wrongdoing, but His hearing the appeal made to Him. This holds not only for the individual level, but for the corporate level. What's the first example of the corporate level in which people cried out and God heard? What's the first example? Egypt. The Jews in Egypt. Now notice, they were in Egypt for a couple of hundred years. Why didn't He take them out? Because it took them getting to a place of absolute misery that they cried out to God for deliverance. Now a lot of people still didn't take advantage of it. But when they cried out, their cry for help from bondage rose up to God. It says in Exodus 2, 23-24, Indeed, when the Lord delegated... Um, it says, God heard their moaning. Indeed, when the Lord delegated Moses, He described to him the context of His mission. He says this, He says, I have marked well my plight of my people in Egypt and have heeded their outcry because of their taskmasters. Masters. Now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. Moreover, I have seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. And further on we read, I have now heard the moaning of the Israelites and have remembered my covenant. With this in mind, we see something very powerful that we read earlier in which God says that if you will do these things, I will heed your prayer. So what is the caveat to God answering prayer? But also changing, it says breaking the chains. Right? You understand? What we do on fast day on Yom Kippur is what? We're breaking the chains of physicality. Right? We're busting down this physical body that steps and gets in the way. Uh, we're, we're, look, I think that we're living in a world in which when we talk about needing to break our klipa, our shell, it's so thick, I don't even know uh, if some people are capable of doing it. Why do I say it? Because we have things that pile on layers and layers of our shell, our klipa, internet, cell phones. Look at most people walking around town. That's Go downtown Houston. It's like they're they're walking and texting and all that all the time. It's they're so consumed with so much information and a volume of information, they don't have time to look inward. They don't have time. And the whole point of being delivered and 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 repentance and truchuva taking place requires us to get to a place in which we can break through that klipa, break through those things that keep us from actually going before God in sincere prayer and asking Him to forgive us. Will He answer your prayer when you cry? Yes, of course He will. The question is, is will He answer the prayer of someone who doesn't cry out in repentance? Now there's one thought that says that even the person on Yom Kippur that doesn't ask for repentance is provided a covering and an atonement for their sin. It's dealt with in this book. So all people are just all, No, no, no. All people... Be, for example, if, if all of the righteous and the nations and the Jews would do what we're supposed to do in Yom Kippur, then God allows His mercy to flow even to those people who don't repent. Now, it doesn't mean that a person can have the knowledge... 
and refuse stiff neck with a stiff neck to repent, and that they're going to be forgiven. What it means, there are people out there that has no clue. They have no clue. It's like over their head, right? Completely over their head. But if they will, if they will improve themselves, this is the words of God to Cain. If you will improve yourself, the things that that crouch at the door that wants to take you and bring you to a side of darkness will be dealt with. So meaning that people that we know that we might get worried about because we don't know where their spiritual level is at, God supplies them with a special blessing because of the Jewish people. What did Yes, sir, go ahead. With all due respect, it's like a wink towards ignorance. Mm-hmm. Thank God. Yeah, it's not It's not a wink towards blatant. No, no, by no means. Blatant, uh, what a rebellion. Not by no means. But the ignorance, thank God. Thank God. I mean, I, I just, you know, listen... There's a difference between being a son of the king and uh, a subject from some other nation. It's just a huge difference between the two. The notion that God answers prayers is over and over repeated in the books of the Tanakh. Here's some examples. It says, I've turned to the Lord and he answered me and he saved me from all my terrors. Here was a lowly man who cried, and the Lord listened and delivered him from all of his troubles. They cried out, and the Lord hears and saves them from their troubles. Psalms 34, 5-7. I told Ralph Cohen today on the interview from on Beyond the Matrix. I said, you know, I, I know that because the question was, is are we to be happy when we afflict ourselves? Right? And and so that was the sort of the question. You know him, he's got his great mystical mind working at all times and during the break I said I'm going to ask this question I could see the look on his face like okay let's see where we're going with this right being happy afflicting ourselves and I said look I can't can't hardly um, help myself that during the days of awe I get giddy I get excited why? because I know where I came from I know that I went from the depths of idolatry and blindness to standing in the throne room of the creator of the universe in which I see him take a seat on the throne and when I cry out for mercy, he stands. Do you realize how powerful that is? Excuse me if I seem a little excited about the day of judgment and atonement. Why am I excited? Because I know where I came from. And at some level, we should all realize that if we would just give a modest effort, the king, the king is here. The king is here. We need to treat as if every moment, we talk about bring Mashiach now and all that stuff, and that's great. But we need to act like the king is sitting on the throne now because he is. This is not some like, oh, one day he's going to sit on the throne. The first day that someone called out on the, to the name of Hashem, which is Adam Rashom, when he began to walk with God in the physical world, he had a king. When Noah built the ark, he had a king. Right? When Avraham Lech Lecha, he had a king. When he went to go see uh, Melchizedek, Melchizedek had a king. And we just go through all through this march of history and realize the king of the universe has always been on the throne. The fact is, is that some just don't acknowledge it. It's the first man, because then right. was second. Absolutely. It's, there's just some that don't acknowledge it. But the point is, is we don't need to be concerned about those people in the world that don't acknowledge it. 
We need to be concerned about the subjects of the king. Are we acknowledging it? Amen. Do we walk by the precepts of the, of the king? Do we actually believe when we say there's only one God of the universe? Do we act like it? Do we act like it when we say there is only one law that the, the king of the universe gives to his people and that the righteous of the nations walk by the laws as well? Do we do it ourselves? The question is, is when we come to Yom Kippur this year, when we stand there in the services, will we really have a download of the power of being a person that the Creator hears your prayer? Regardless of how you feel, you're like, oh, you don't understand all the things I've done last year. I promised to do this, and I promised to add to, to more Torah study. I promised to do more charity, and I wasn't able to do all that. Guess what? God's already forgotten about it because it's been canceled. Your vow's been canceled. It's a new start, folks. Thank God we get to do this every day, but once a year it's guaranteed that God takes a look at the record. And this is the thing. This is the best way to, to, to uh, um, wrap it up in an example, a metaphor. I go to my creditors and I do a yearly review. And the creditor looks, mm, there's several late payments. Your, rep, your credit score has dropped from 187 to... <laughs> I mean, 887, I'm sorry. How much lower can we go? Yeah, trust me, there could be low. 887, and it's down to like 320 right now. Not good. And so I say, look, listen, what I'm asking you, now any credit in the world world will tell you, go jump in a lake. But our creator says something different. You go to the creditor and say, look, this is the deal. I recognize what I've done wrong. Here are the things that I've done wrong in managing my funds. Right? I've, 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 I've failed to actually distribute it properly in the sense that sometimes we have spent things on money on things that we really didn't need. And here are the several items that I've had that I've spent on that I don't need. And so what I've already begun to do is sell those items and I'm going to apply those items to the debt. And then when I'm finished doing that, I, I'm going to correct this whole habit that I have about not being able to take uh, and, and spend my funds properly by getting a fund, somebody to help me with my funds. And this is the name of the guy that's going to help me and manage my funds. And the guy goes, well, you know what? We'll put you at zero again. Your balance is all good. Let's start all fresh. Could you imagine somebody doing that with your credit? But the creator gives you a chance. If you've come up during the 10 days of awe with a plan, on how to rectify it. And then on Monday when you wake up, or Sunday, when you wake up of this, this year, the day after Yom Kippur, you make your first step. If you wanted to increase your Torah study, then increase it. Whether it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 2 hours, whatever it is, increase it. You've done that one act as if you've done the whole last year as if you ran a perfect school. That's incredible. And that is our king. And that is the beauty of Yom Kippur. May everyone go from strength to strength and may this Yom Kippur service and time draw all men to include those of the nations closer to the Creator. Amen and Amen.
Any comments? Yeah, caveat to that. 